Welcome to another edition of Fair Territory. Happy to be joining you on this Monday in the middle of December. Hopefully you are good wherever you are. And we've got one principal topic to talk about this morning. It's not the topic we've been talking about for weeks, Shohei Otani. It is another Japanese player, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the free agent right-hander, the 25-year-old who is the literal bell of the ball in free agency right now. It is likely, though not certain, that his decision will come this week. And there are a number of teams interested. You heard over the weekend that he met for a second time with both the Mets and Yankees. But let's look at all of the teams that are in the mix here, some obviously to a greater degree than others. It's the Mets, it's the Yankees, it's the Dodgers again, yes. The Blue Jays kind of on the periphery here. Giants reportedly have made a big bid, as have the Red Sox. And the Phillies, too sort of on the periphery. They're in, but this is more in their efforts to get a foothold in Japan, kind of show that they're serious about Japanese players. So Yamamoto, because of all this interest, because of his age, because of his accomplishment, has a chance, a chance, to become the highest paid pitcher of all time. Garrett Cole currently holds that record, both in AAV, 36 million, and total value, $324 324 million. I'm talking here about total value. I don't think Yamamoto's beating Cole's AAV. Could he get above 324? That would seem unlikely. But again, let's look at who this guy is because he is a special cat when it comes to free agency. Really, more than anything, because of what you see right there the age. But also, the three straight Pacific League MVPs. The three straight Sawamura Awards, those are the Japanese versions of the Cy Young, and his numbers the last three seasons combined. All right, I know people don't care about win-loss, but he's 50 and 16. That kind of is pretty good. And more important, the 1.42 ERA. And even more important than that, not on the screen here, but Eno Saris of The Athletic wrote about this recently. His pitch characteristics, his pitch shapes, all of that, all of the things that can be measured objectively today, well, he grades out really well on almost all of those as well. So here we go. Now, here's the thing to remember with Yamamoto as well. We can talk about a $300 million contract, a $350 million contract, but the team that gets him is also going to have to pay his Japanese team, Yorick's Buffaloes, a posting fee. And the posting fee is going to be quite substantial as well as, of course, the guarantee, because the higher the guarantee, the higher the posting fee. And here's how the system works. If you look at it, it's broken down by basically how many millions he earns. 20% on the first 25 million will go to the posting fee. That's $5 million. 17.5% on the next 25 million, and then 15% on the total exceeding 50 million. I wrote this last week. If Yamamoto gets 300 million, that's going to put the total posting fee at about 46.9 million. Total price, almost 350 million. So this guy is going to cost a ton of money, but teams obviously believe, just by their interest alone, that he is worth it. Obviously, when any pitcher comes over from Japan, any player comes over from Asia or any place in the world, you don't know how they will translate to the Major League quality environment. But there's going to be a big bet made on Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I don't know who's going to get him. Really, no one knows. But the Mets, Yankees, and Dodgers would seem to be the favorites here. 
And understandably so, they've got the money, they've got the wherewithal to do this. Each of those teams is kind of hell-bent on making this happen for different reasons. The Dodgers, because they still need starting pitching with Otani out for the coming year and even after getting Tyler Glass now. The Yankees also need starting pitching. And the Mets, yes, they need starting pitching too, but they see Yamamoto as a piece that will get them where they need to be as they try to compete, not so much in 24, but in 25 and beyond. So that's where we are with Yamamoto. Should resolve this week, at least hopefully resolves this week. And then we will go forward with the rest of free agency. Also in the news this week, the Tyler Glasnow trade and extension. This was a big deal for the Dodgers. And clearly, knowing Otani cannot pitch in 24, and even though he is supposedly going to be back in 25, you don't know what you're getting then, they need to bolster what they have. The Tyler Glasnow trade should do that. Let's look at their rotation now that Glasnow is in the mix. It's starting to look better. It would look even better if you added Yamamoto to this list of names. It's Glasnow, it's Bueller, it's Ryan Yarbrough, Bobby Miller, who had a great debut last year, and it's Emmett Sheehan. Of course, Ryan Pepio was supposed to be in that rotation, but he went back to the Rays in this trade. Now, in addition to the trade, of course, Glasnow, as a condition of the trade, actually, the Dodgers would not have done this unless it happened, he signed an extension, five years, $136.5 million. For Tyler Glasnow, that to me seems like a fair deal. He is one of the most talented pitchers in the game when he is on the mound. Problem is, he's not always on the mound, so he's not going to be a $30 million guy just at this stage of his career. But the Dodgers figure that he will be someone who can contribute more than, say, Rich Hill did, but they'll be counting on him for maybe fewer innings than they would from a Clayton Kershaw in his prime, for example. I don't know that you're getting 180 innings from Tyler Glass now, but you still should be in good position to build your rotation around him and one more. They're going to need one more at least. And if it's not Yamamoto, maybe they make a trade for Dylan Cease or someone like that. But clearly, they still need to upgrade the rotation. The good news for the Dodgers, in part because of the Otani massive deferrals, is their position with regard to the luxury tax threshold. Now, they're over the first threshold. That's to be expected. But really... Where they are is kind of enviable for a team with their resources because compared to the highest threshold, they've got a lot of room. And let's take a look at where they stand in the luxury tax threshold situation. All right, there are the thresholds for 2024. 237, 257, 277, and 297 million. The Dodgers right now per fan graphs, and this is an estimate, but it's a pretty accurate one usually from fan graphs. They're at $255.7 million. So they're below the second threshold. And most importantly, they're about $40 million below the top threshold. And that's the one teams want to avoid. That's the Steve Cohen tax, the one that forces you to move your draft pick, your first draft pick in the first round, back 10 spots. Dodgers, like any team, would want to avoid that. And even if they sign Yamamoto, it seems to me that they're going to be in pretty good position to do just that even while adding perhaps a few other secondary pieces. So, Yamamoto, the big focus, glass now trade complete. Once Yamamoto goes down, we're going to see a lot of other things happen. And we'll be talking about that and the pace of this free agency in the Inside Dish. This is the part of the show where I go inside one of the stories I've written recently. 
inside a trend in the game, inside whatever we decide is the inside dish for that week. This week, I want to talk about the pace of the market, because let's face it, it hasn't exactly been at breakneck speed here with the way free agency has proceeded. Tim Britton and Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic compiled a list of the top 40 free agents at the start of free agency. Top 40 people that they thought would be the most attractive to teams. And so far, of those top 40, only 13 have signed. 13 out of 40 free agents, the top 40, are under contract or in agreement with new teams. And that's with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. agreeing with the Diamondbacks over the weekend. That's a pretty low number. And people ask all the time, well, why doesn't baseball go faster? Why can't baseball be like the NBA and the NHL and the NBA? And I've touched on this on foul territory. I've touched on it in fair territory as well. Baseball is different because it is not a salary cap league. And there's not space running out and teams don't need to necessarily rush to get players under contract. The union has historically opposed a salary cap and opposed any restrictions on a free market system. So while we can talk about deadlines in baseball, the union considers that a restriction. Now you can argue, and I have argued, and people on the club side have argued, that if you put some deadlines in effect, it might not be such a bad thing. If you go back to the lockout free agency, remember that a couple of years ago when there was a deadline of December 1st for the lockout, the lockout was coming on that date. There was a frenzy in the week before. It was the Seager and Semyon deals took place then. The $500 million combined the Rangers spent. Max Scherzer got his record AAV from the Mets. There was a lot happening. But again, the people on the player's side, the union, the agents, all of those folks, they see a deadline as a problem. And I've talked about maybe a trade deadline at the end of the winter meetings. I don't know that that would work either. Right now, the way things go, once in a while, we're going to have a winter like this. Last year was a better pace. Certainly 21 was a different pace with the lockout. But this year, because of Otani, because of Yamamoto, those free agencies have slowed things down. And people in baseball sometimes complain when there's a guy out there like a Yamamoto or an Otani. Hey, these guys are holding up the market. It's not right. They're holding up the market. Uh, sorry. These guys are under no deadlines. They don't have to sign by a certain date. Actually, Yamamoto does have to sign by a certain date, January 4th. So his pace is clearly moving at a pretty good speed considering he has a full 45 days. But generally speaking, we saw it with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Players can take as long as they like and they can't be worried about the rest of the market. They have to worry about themselves first and the rest of the market will figure itself out. Might certain players get hurt the longer this goes? Yes because they could get squeezed as teams say, ah, there's only a few of you left, it's getting late, you take this deal or you're not one of us. That could happen. But again, only 13 out of 40 players signed, Otani being the biggest among them, Aaron Nola, Sonny Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez, the big starting pitchers, Heimer Candelario, Jung-Hoo Lee signed with the Giants last week, he's their first big pickup of the offseason. Michael Waka and Seth Lugo go to the Royals. Guriel, I mentioned, Flaherty to the Tigers. Maeda to the Tigers as well. Craig Kimbrell to the Orioles. And Jason Hayward back to the Dodgers. Those are the lucky 13. And also, some of the teams in on Yamamoto, the Yankees, for example, are going to continue to do things if they do indeed sign him. The Yankees would probably try to supplement their bullpen a little bit. 
maybe add yet another starter, not an expensive type, someone who could eat innings, but the Yamamoto signing will signal the next phase of free agency. It also will or should open up the trade market. And we've got some pitchers still out there who are available in trade or at least have been discussed as possible trade candidates. Who am I talking about? Well, it's this list right here. Dylan Cease, he's going to go. I'm convinced of that. But to some extent, the White Sox are waiting for the Yamamoto situation to resolve when they will have their suitors on tilt, more desperate, more urgent. They're going to want to hold off till then. They've sent that message throughout the industry pretty clearly. Corbin Burns, it depends on which day you kind of ask to see whether he actually is really going to be traded. The latest I'm hearing is no, but I've heard yes, I've heard no, I've heard it all different ways the entire offseason. Framber Valdez is a guy that the Astros are not listening on seemingly right now, but other teams are wondering if they might. The Astros are right above the first luxury tax threshold. Only once under owner Jim Crane have they gone above the threshold. That was in 2020. And as it turned out, because of the pandemic, there weren't even penalties assessed that year. So he could go, but right now it doesn't seem like there's any real activity there. And Shane Bieber was the last pitcher on that list. We'll have to see what the Guardians decide, whether they can get enough for Bieber, whose reputation in the industry has kind of regressed since his 2020 American League Cy Young Award. His velo's down, his results aren't quite what they were. Teams don't see him in the same light. But what I'm trying to say here, the way I'll wrap it up, is that free agency is going to happen. Trades are going to happen. It's just taken longer than usual. Each offseason is different. Each offseason has its unique characteristics. This one had a unicorn at the top and a very unusual posting situation with a Japanese pitcher right in the middle where we are right now. So we'll get there. It's just going to take a little bit more time. Time now for the dude and dork of the week. The dude of the week, I'm going to give it to the Dodgers front office. Now, from what we've heard, the Otani deferrals were not the Dodgers' idea. They were Otani's idea. In fact, Andrew Friedman, president of baseball operations for the Dodgers, said he wouldn't have had the guts to ask for deferrals that massive. Well, not only did they get the deferrals, which makes this deal almost a sweetheart deal for them, Depending on how you value it, the present day is somewhere in the 43 to $46 million range. There are different valuations based on different interest rates. We don't need to get into all that. But the luxury tax charge is going to be $46 million. That's pretty good for Shohei Otani, considering that his guarantee is $700 million. And the other part of the Dodgers' contractual situation with Otani, with their agreement, and this is why they're also dudes of the week. They're front office and ownership. Andrew Friedman gets more security, perhaps, than any general manager type in Major League history has ever had. Because of that clause in the contract that allows Otani to opt out in any year in which Andrew Friedman, as president of baseball operations, or Mark Walter, as the owner of the team, decides to depart the organization. So if one of those guys leaves, Otani can be out that year. Now, I don't know that Andrew Friedman, after 18 years as a lead front office executive, wants to work 10 more years. But if he wants to, in this present capacity, he certainly has a lot of leverage because I don't imagine the Dodgers are going to want Otani to opt out. So 
Dodgers ownership, Dodgers front office, dudes of the week. They get the sweetheart deal, as sweetheart a deal as you can imagine, for $700 million. And they get these unbelievable protections because Otani wants continuity in the organization. Now, dork of the week, or I guess I should say dorks of the week, the Red Sox front office and ownership. Now, the offseason is not over. And this is kind of a pending dork of the week because they've done some things, Craig Breslow as the new chief baseball officer, that have been pretty good. It's things on the margins. They swapped out essentially Alex Verdugo for Tyler O'Neill, made some other lesser moves. So far, so good. The problem is that at the start of the offseason, when the Red Sox named Breslow to his new position, Tom Werner, the chairman of the team, promised that the Red Sox would go full throttle to improve the roster. What we've seen so far, like I said, some nice moves, but of the lesser variety. This is not full throttle. Now, signing Yamamoto, yes, that would certainly qualify as full throttle. If they don't get Yamamoto, would Blake Snell qualify? Would Jordan Montgomery qualify? I'm not so sure. They would help. They would be closer to that description. But with the Red Sox, it's put up or shut up because they fired Heim Bloom basically because they felt he could not take them to the next level. He could not make the kinds of bold acquisitions that need to be made. Well, here we are. Bold acquisitions still need to be made pending Dorks of the Week, the Red Sox front office and ownership. Time now for Grilling Ken. This is the segment of the show where I answer your questions. And the first one this week... I believe, is on the Cubbies. Let's go to the questions. This one comes from Bill Bernadoni. Bill asks, what is the latest with the Cubs? I know the Cubs were always working silence, but are you hearing anything? Trade with Cleveland, Miami, Seattle. What are the chances Morrell gets dealt given the focus on defense and his complete lack of defensive ability? Bill, you're being a little bit harsh on Morrell. I wouldn't call it a complete lack of defensive ability. Not necessarily a strength, but I don't know if I'd go that far. Patrick Mooney of The Athletic wrote about the Cubs a couple of days ago, and he put it really well. They're in an interesting spot. They have a lot of prospects coming, a lot of kids that they want to take a look at and make sure that they get opportunities. And yet, they obviously want to compete this season. They hired Craig Council so they could better compete in the National League Central. So they clearly want to do some things, but the kinds of things they do maybe will be a little bit more restrained than fans might like. The number one thing for me is Cody Ballinger or a left-handed hitter to replace Cody Ballinger. They're awfully right-handed. I know there's been some talk of Matt Chapman there, and he would fit. He's a premier defender like Ballinger, but at the same time, he's another right-handed guy, and to me, they have to get stronger from the left side. They also need a frontline starter to replace Marcus Stroman. I don't know if they're going to be able to get one, but ideally, that's something they would look at. And they're getting interest in some of their younger pitchers, guys like Ben Brown and Hayden Wisniewski. I don't know if they could trade or package a deal and put something together to get one of the available starters, but it's something they certainly can consider. Again, there is this kind of Difficult balance that they're trying to strike, but if I'm a Cubs fan, like a Red Sox fan, I'd be expecting this team to do some bigger things in the weeks ahead. All right, the next question. It comes from Champa Bay Beast. 
Champion Bay Beast asks, do you see the Rage trading a Rosa Reina still barring an insane offer? There are other ways to shed salary if needed. Tampa Bay Beast, I asked this question of a raised person just in the last couple of days after the Glassnow Margo trade and was told, no, the intention is not to trade a Rosarena. They feel now that they can carry his projected $9 million salary in arbitration. The raise in the Glassnow Margo trade saved about $33 million. They cut their payroll from about $125 to $95. Now, $95 million for the Rays would still be a franchise record. So it's possible they might trade another hitter, Harold Ramirez, at about $4.4 million, or Isaac Paredes at about $3.3 million if they get the deal they want. But I don't know that they can pair off more offense here. They already are facing the possible loss of Juan Franco for goodness knows how long because of the investigation going on in the Dominican Republic. And they're going to try to field as competitive a team as possible. So I would expect the Rays to do what the Rays always do. Be opportunistic. If something comes along that they like, they'll grab it. And people have asked also about their rotation. And the rotation with Outclass now has a different look. It's going to be Eflin, Savali, Pepio coming over in the trade, Taj Bradley, and maybe Zach Littell, or maybe Shane Boz coming off Tommy John surgery. So they probably could use one more starter to add to that mix. But the Rays are the Rays, and we'll just see what they come up with. It's always something a little bit different. All right, final question. It comes from Chris Saunders. Chris asks, do you think the Mariners will do anything? Now, a lot of Mariners fans are asking these questions or kinds of questions, and a lot of Mariners fans are frustrated. And clearly, this team is operating under budgetary restrictions. Why? Because Xfinity, the largest cable operator in the Pacific Northwest, is going to charge more for Root Sports, the Mariners' regional network, this year. They're raising the price that people have to pay to get the Mariners' games in their local package. Mariners officials, rightly or wrongly, are concerned that this is going to cut into the number of people watching their games, the amount of money coming in, and that is why they are taking the course that they are. It's not the front office's choice. It's ownership's choice. What have they done? They've traded Eugenio Suarez. They've declined to make Teoscar Hernandez a qualifying offer. And they've also made a deal with Jared Koenig. So they're essentially down three position players, two middle-of-the-order bats. Now, I don't know how Jerry DePoto, the president of baseball operations, and Justin Hollander, the GM, is going to come out of this. They want to retain their younger starters. Two reasons. They're affordable, one. And starting pitching is the strength of the team. But clearly, they're going to need to be creative in the weeks ahead. And it's going to be really interesting to see what the Mariners try to do. I want to thank everyone for their questions, everyone for watching, for listening. You know where to find us, YouTube, Apple, Spotify. Like, subscribe, whatever the case might be. We will be back with another show between Christmas and New Year's. I don't know exactly which day yet, but we'll keep you posted. Thanks, guys. Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for a $1,500 first bet offer. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLING.